Morning, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate you joining us on this uh, kind of damp, rainy, cool morning. Whether you're doing that at one of our campuses or if you're just joining us online, that's okay. I'm glad you're here, wherever here happens to be for you today. And uh, I want to say a special welcome to all of our D-NOW Centerpoint students and leaders and volunteers who are worshiping with us this morning over at our West Campus. For those of you who are not familiar with D-NOW, it's a weekend gathering of our middle and high school students along with uh, small group leaders. That's an intensive time of worship, of coming together, of uh, growing closer in their relationship with Jesus as they also grow closer in their relationship with each other. And I just want to give a shout out this morning to our Centerpoint directors. I just want to say thank you to Jeff and Lori and Garrett. I want to thank all of the adult volunteers, the homes, the host homes, folks who opened up their homes this weekend for a pack of teenagers to, to hang out and spend the night. I want to thank the worship team, everybody that made this such a phenomenal weekend. I want to speak directly to our students this morning. I want you to know how proud we are of you, but I want you to understand this. Sometimes people will say, we got to help focus on the youth because the youth are the future of the church. But let me tell you something, young people, that's not true. You are not some future of the church. You are the church right here, right now. Yeah, we can celebrate that with you. And we are blessed. We, your church family, are blessed to have you on this journey with us. We love walking with you, and we love having you walk with us. So thank you. Glad you had a great weekend. Now just keep doing the things you've learned this weekend. Now, as you can see, we are in week four of our foundations journey, this church-wide series and study where we have been attempting to work together to develop a deeper faith. A faith that not only brings meaning and purpose into our lives, but a faith that can help us weather even the most devastating storms of life. This series, this study, is based on a metaphor, a story, a parable that Jesus shared at the end of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells this made-up story about two guys who built similar houses but built them on very different foundations. Jesus said one man, probably, in my opinion, because he was in a hurry, just built his house on the ground that was provided, and it was a fairly sandy soil. The other man took his time, dug down, and made sure to build his house on the rock, on a firm foundation. The houses looked good, both of them, from the outside, and everything was hunky-dory until the storm hit. And the wind and the waves and the rain beat against both of those houses. And the house that was built on sand, Jesus said, collapsed with a mighty crash. But the house built on the rock was beaten and weathered and scarred. But when the sun came up the next morning, that house was still standing. And then Jesus, to drive home the point of the story, says these words from Luke chapter 6. They're on the top of your outline. Jesus says, I will show you what it is like 
when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then, don't miss this, follows it, puts it into practice. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. So each week in this series and study, we've been looking for practical ways to follow Jesus' teaching, to go from just hearing what Jesus says to doing what Jesus says, because that's how you dig a firm foundation for your faith and your life. Now today, I want to look at what I believe is one of the clearest and most repeated teachings of Jesus, and that is that we are to serve others. In fact, notice what Jesus says about himself in Matthew 20, 28. Jesus said, for I, even the Son of Man, even God in the flesh, came not to be served, but to do what? Right, Jesus said, I'm here, God in the flesh, and I came to serve others. And then notice Mark 10, 44. Again, Jesus talking to us, his followers. He says, whoever wants to become first or great among you must do what? What's that say? Right. The more you serve others, the more like Jesus you are becoming. And the more like Jesus you become, the deeper and stronger your faith is. But you got to grab a shovel. At some point, you got to get up out of your spectator seat, grab a shovel, and get to work. Because, see, unfortunately, for too many years, too many times, we as the church have been functioning like a DOT work crew. You know what I'm talking about? You ever pass a Department of Transportation crew working on the side of the road? It's always the same. No matter what job they're doing, there's always 10 or 12 people on the crew. But inevitably, there's always only one guy down in the hole digging and everybody else standing around leaning on the shovel and watching. And for too many times, we as a church family, all of our church family, have sat and watched others serve and forgotten that Jesus calls us to be Serve. So let me just say this right up front. If you're serious about developing a deeper faith, if you really want to survive the storms of life, there's no better way to build that foundation than to serve others. And Jesus not only taught this lesson, he demonstrated it throughout his life. And one of my favorite examples of Jesus serving others is found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you could turn or click there. If not, it's okay. All the key verses are on the program, the outline you got when you came in. Now, to make sure we're all on the same page, I want to tell you a little bit about this story because this is the incident in which Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It's a story that's familiar. It's one of the most powerful images of serving, but it's also one of the most practical pictures of how to serve others. In fact, 15 years ago, when we opened this worship center, this big box here at our Banks Mill campus, our original campus, our founding pastor made a decision that instead of putting a big steeple on top of the building, 
that he would put a life-size bronze statue of this event, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That, that statue is there for a purpose. It reminds us when we come into church that the church ain't Burger King, right? We're not here to have it our way. We are here to serve one another. But it also, more importantly, reminds us when we leave this place that we are to serve our community and our neighbors. Years ago, I was uh, over in the office. I came out of my office, and there in the lobby, the foyer of the office, there was a little girl, maybe four or five years old, and she was sitting in one of the little couches there. She was by herself. And her mom had actually come to pick up some stuff for Kids Creek, and the daughter was just sitting in there. So I did what I normally do with young kids. I bit down got down on her level and said, hi, I'm Philip. what's your name? And like 10 seconds into the conversation, I saw the light bulb go off, the, the recognition in our face. And she said, hey, wait a minute, you're that guy that's up on that big old stage over there. I said, yeah, well, unfortunately, yes, that is me, I'm Pastor Philip." And when she realized who she was talking to, she knew she had somebody that could answer her question. And she pointed her little finger out through the glass doors of the office to that statue. And she said, well, then tell me, why is that man messing with that other man's feet? And that's the question we want to answer today. Why did Jesus do that? And, and not only the why behind it, but what it teaches us about serving others. Now... Here's kind of the Reader's Digest version. Jesus has spent the last three and a half years with a group of 12 men, his disciples. And they've spent almost every hour of every day together. And they've gotten really close. These guys have had a front row seat to every sermon Jesus ever preached. They've had a front row seat to every miracle he has performed. And Jesus loves them and they're close. And so Jesus knows that his time with these men is coming to an end. He knows that he is literally hours away from being arrested, tried, crucified, buried, and resurrected. And so he wants to make the most of this last night together. It is a holiday week. And there is a special meal that is a part of this holiday gathering. So Jesus wants to spend this last evening with these guys that he's closest to. But because they're a homeless itinerant group, they don't have a place to sit down and have this meal together. And so they literally have to borrow a room from somebody else. So they're in the city of Jerusalem and the disciples are giddy with excitement. Because for the last several months, Jesus has been talking about his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is near. It's almost here. And in their minds, they're thinking an earthly kingdom. Like Jesus is coming to take over his king. In fact, on that Sunday, they had watched Jesus come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, which was symbolic of a king. And the whole city welcomed him singing, Hosanna, which is Hebrew, for you to man. And so the disciples are going into this meal with, with visions of thrones. And they're, they're so excited about Jesus taking over because they're like, where's right-hand men? We're going to be in power. they got visions of thrones and power in their head. And that's how they walk in to this borrowed room. And as they walk in, fighting amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest, they walk past a pitcher of water a basin, and a towel. It was there because when you walked on dirt roads, 
shared with animals, either barefooted or with sandals. You need your feet washed before you went in to a home. And every one of them walked past this pitcher and basin and said, somebody needs to do that, but not me. But then Jesus, their master, their leader, did for them what they were unwilling to do for each other. And as we unpack this amazing picture of service, it teaches us four things, four keys to serve like Jesus. You might want to write these down. Number one, to serve like Jesus, the first thing I have to do is be motivated by love. To be motivated by love. The most important thing about serving others is not how you serve them or the way you serve them, but why you serve them. Notice verse 1. It says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world. And so he now showed them, he showed the disciples how much he really loved them. See, Jesus didn't just wash their feet because they stank and he didn't want to smell their stinky feet while he was trying to have a meal. He washed their feet because he loved them. He was motivated by love. And the same thing is true for us. Because if you serve others without love, it simply is duty. It's simply because some, it's something you feel like you have to do because it's expected by others or you're doing it to seek approval from others or, or maybe even to seek approval from God that if I serve enough and do enough good, then God might let me into his heaven. The problem with serving out of duty is it eventually turns to drudgery. Don't get me wrong, there are some things we should do because it is our responsibility. There are some duties that are required of us. But if your service of others is only driven by a sense of obligation or a desire to be patted on the back, you'll never get enough affirmation. It will eventually lead to bitterness and frustration and anger because there's not enough recognition you won't be affirmed enough. You won't get patted on the back enough. You have to be motivated by love. Any of y'all familiar with Sour Patch Kids candy? Let me see, right? Yeah. Have you ever tried one of those? If you haven't, let me recommend that you don't. Years ago, when my kids were little. They were into the, They're like little gummies, and they look really sweet, and it looks like they got sugar dusting on them, and they tricked me in to putting one of those Sour Patches in my mouth. Worst taste ever. These things are like toxically nuclear sour. Man, my jaw locked up. I'm foaming at the mouth. I'm headed over to spit it out. And my kids say, no, 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 don't spit it out. If you hold on to it long enough, there's a sweet spot in the middle. I didn't fall for that lie. I spit that sucker out. But I think a lot of us look at serving like that. Yeah, I don't like it now. It's hard now. But one day I'll be rewarded. One day, you know, God will take me in heaven. One day, somebody might recognize. And that type of motivation is not what it means to serve like Jesus. It's not some deferred happiness down the road. Look at what the Bible says, Romans 12, 10. Love each other with genuine affection. And then check this out. Take delight in honoring each other. Did you catch that? Take delight in serving each other. Serving others is a source of joy for us. Is it hard? Yes, yeah, sometimes. 
Do you feel like doing it all the time? No. But if you're motivated by love, you'll find a deep joy in serving others. So let me ask you this. If you are serving others in your home, in the church, at your work, if you're serving others and you find yourself a little bitter, a little underappreciated, if you find yourself with a little sour taste in your mouth, then maybe, I'm not passing judgment, I'm just saying maybe you might want to check your motivation because serving like Jesus means being motivated by love. Number two, the second thing we have to do is don't wait for people to deserve it. To serve like Jesus, you can't wait for those people to earn your service. Now me, as a general rule, I like to serve. I like to help other people if they're grateful for it, if they recognize it, or at the very least, if my helping or serving shows up as some sort of changes, positive changes in their behavior. But it's just hard for me to serve people when they don't deserve it. And yet, think about the feet that Jesus washed. I mean, these 12 guys were a ragtag group of nobodies from nowhere. If it were not for Jesus, they'd still be a bunch of filthy fishermen and corrupt tax players. And yet every one of them walked past the basin and the towel and the pitcher and said, not me, not me. I mean, when you're in a fight for position and power, the last thing you want to be seen as weak and as a servant. You know, on top of that, they are totally self-absorbed, right? Jesus knows what's coming that night. He knows what the next 48 hours will be. He knows that he's going to be beaten, crucified. He, if ever there was a night when the focus should have been on him, it's this night. And yet they don't even notice, they don't even consider that Jesus might have needs. They're totally self-absorbed. Chuck Swindoll, the great pastor from California, said this was a room full of proud hearts and dirty feet. See, what they deserved was a swift kick in the tail. What they got was their feet washed. Why? Because serving is not based on the worthiness of the recipient, but on the heart of the servant. Let me say that again. Serving is not based on the worthiness of the recipient, but on the heart of the servant. The most fascinating thing about this whole encounter, to me, is found in verse 2. Check it out. It says, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Did you catch that? Judas is in the room. Judas gets his feet washed by Jesus. He's already made up his mind. Jesus already knows he's going to betray him, and yet Jesus washes his feet. And I would add that I believe Jesus washed the feet of Jesus with the same tenderness, the same compassion, and the same love that he washed every other disciple's feet. You know why I think that's true? Because a little later, Jesus would say to all of them, one of you will betray me, and nobody knew who it was. I believe if, if Jesus had to just kind of went to Judas and said, all right, there's your feet, and then treated everybody else nice and treated Judas with a little bit of dis, they'd have picked up on that. 
Right? They'd have recognized that. No. Jesus washed the feet with love and tenderness of the very man who would betray him. So if Jesus could do that, do you think you might could keep serving your spouse even when they don't appreciate it? Even when it's not reciprocated? For those of you who serve with our kids and with our students here in the church, do you think you can keep serving them even when it seems like it's not making a difference? Or even when they or their parents don't appreciate you or just complain about your serving? Do, do you think if Jesus could wash Judas's feet that you might could keep serving that boss at work even though they keep passing you over, even though they keep taking your ideas and taking credit for it? even though you don't get recognition. Let me tell you, if you wait for people to deserve your service, you will serve very little in this broken and messed up world. Number three, the third thing we have to do to serve like Jesus is you got to recognize the source of your strength. To recognize the source of your strength. Jesus was able to wash the feet of these undeserving, self-absorbed men, not just because he was motivated by love, but because he recognized where his strength came from. In fact, look at verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Don't miss this. Circle the phrase, come from God. Go ahead and circle that. And then circle the phrase, returning to God. Here's why that's so important. Because John, the writer of this gospel, wants you to understand the reason Jesus could get up and wash their feet is because he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. Both of those things are key in having the strength to serve others. I've noticed 25 years of being a pastor, people who serve well have two things that give them strength. One, they have a strong sense of identity. They know who they are in Christ. Their identity is not based on their position or what other people think about them or their earning potential or the leadership roles they have. Their identity is in Christ and so they can humble themselves and serve others. The second thing that great servants has is a strong sense of security. They know God's in control. They know whose they are and where they are going because serving others is a surrender of control. But you're not surrendering control to the person you're serving. You're surrendering control to the God who is in control. And when you realize that, it gives you the strength to serve. That's why your serving and your faith go hand in hand. Because the more you trust that God is in control, the easier it becomes for you to serve others. And the more you serve others, the deeper and stronger your trust in God is. The greatest mark of spiritual maturity is not how much of the Bible you know or how many church services you attend, but how often you are willing to humble yourself to serve others. So let me ask you a question. What does your current level of service say about the depth of your faith right now? 
What does the level to which you serve inside and outside the church say about the depth of your faith? If you want to grab a shovel, if you want to dig down to the rock, then plug in and serve. If you don't know where or how to do that, there are all kinds of places right here in the church family. A great place to serve, a cool place to serve. Take that little tear off on your program there. Flip it over. You can find out information about all kinds of different ministries. Talk to your home group leader this week about opportunities that the group has to serve out in the community because the, the strength of your faith will move you to serve. And as you serve, your faith gets stronger. And then finally, number four, the fourth thing, and maybe the most important thing about serving like Jesus is that you got to focus on the needs of others. Focus on the needs of others. Of all the truths about serving, this is one I think we often miss in this encounter. Verses 4 and 5. It says, so he, so, so Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Why would Jesus do this? Why did he wash their feet? To, to set an example of service? Yes, he said that. To show that greatness was found in humility? Yes, he said that as well. But don't miss the obvious. He washed their feet because their feet were dirty. They needed their feet washed. We're so far removed from this custom that it always looks to us like an, a, a religious ritual. Like this is kind of a new thing that Jesus created, this idea of washing each other's feet as an expression of service. But you need to understand, this was not a new experience for the disciples. It's not like baptism, which was brand new to them. It's not like the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread, communion, the wine. That, that was new that night. But every day of their life, they had had their feet washed. Every home they went into, somebody washed their feet because it was a basic need. Their feet were filthy. When, when they were little, it was probably their mom's that washed their feet. As they got older, maybe it was a younger sibling, or if they were upper middle class or upper class, they probably had servants who washed their feet. But this was something that was a daily part of their life. Every home had a pitcher and a basin and a towel just inside the door. This was a common practice. Most of us, our image of the Last Supper comes from Da Vinci's painting, right? You've seen that? And it's like Da Vinci walked in the room and said, all right, everybody wants to be in this painting, get on that side of the table, right? Because they're all sitting shoulder to shoulder facing one way. That's not how it was. They didn't sit in chairs on one side of the table. They sat on pillows reclining, laying around all the way around the table. The table was only about this high off the floor. Think about that, 12 men laying around in pillows all the way around the table. Every place you turned, there were feet next to a head and a head next to feet. 
They went in this room, laid on those pillows, and smelled each other's stinky feet, and yet their pride would not get them up to wash their own feet, let alone each other's feet. My point is, Jesus met a practical need. I I tried to think of an illustration that would relate with this in our culture today. And let me just apologize up front. The best I've come up with still is not very good. But here's what I came up with. Let's say you and a group of your friends were going away for some kind of weekend and you decided to do it on the cheap to save some money. So you rented one hotel room and you all just piled in there. You know, pallets, mattresses, everybody just piled in there because it was cheaper. And when you got to the room, the room was clean but it stunk. And as you looked around, you discovered the reason it stunk is because one of the trash cans had not been emptied. The maid missed it. And it was full of old food, banana peels, rotten, stink, couple of dirty baby diapers left. It stuck up the whole room, right? This would be like you choosing to put your hands in that field, to tie up that bag, and simply walk it and throw it out to help the people around you. That's what washing feet is all about. That's what serving is all about. We serve best when we serve driven by the needs around us. Now listen, if you've been at Cedar Creek Church any length of time, you've heard us talk often about shape, that we are all shaped to serve. We have unique personalities, talents, gifts, experiences, and God uses those. We serve best long-term when we serve out of our shape. But we serve best sometimes when we're just willing to see a need and meet that need. When we're willing to take out the trash, to wash the feet of one another. You understand that serving best by meeting practical needs is the reason why our Christmas offering every year goes to provide clean water. Do you know why we do that? Because it's the most basic need people have. And millions of people all around the world don't have clean water. And when we provide wells and filters, it meets that basic need. And guess what? It often leads to opportunities to meet an even greater need. The need for spiritual water. The need for a message of hope for people who are hopeless. In fact, I just want to tell you this story. Part of last year's Christmas clean water offering went to drill five wells in rural villages in India. And as we're sitting here today, right now, people in those villages are drinking clean water, and it's changing their lives. That's a practical need. That's washing feet. But those wells have opened opportunities for us to partner with five local church planters in India to begin to bring spiritual water to these communities. That's what it looks like. That's what God will do if you're willing to wash feet. In fact, if you want to know more about this story, today when you leave, when you head out of here, open up your app. And just click on the clean water box and you can see more pictures and read stories about how God is using this meeting a basic need to transform whole communities. That's what happens when you wash feet. But not only are we to do this collectively as a church body, we got to do it individually 
We got to meet the practical needs of the people around us. Let me ask you, you ever had your feet washed? I don't mean in some kind of religious ceremony. I mean where somebody met a very practical need for you. I have. Several years ago when the kids were younger, my wife Terry ruptured a disc in her back. And because of that, she had to stay flat on her back for four weeks. That's a month. That's a long period. When you got five young kids and mama's down, it's a crisis, right? And when there's a crisis, there's some things you just have to stop doing. There's some, you just got to focus on the important things. Some things you got to let go. So for me in that crisis, I decided to let the yard work go. Now, I'm not one of these guys that has an immaculate yard. I got a combination of grass and mostly weeds, but even the weeds got to be cut. Even the leaves got to be raked. Well, I just let that go for four weeks, for a month. I'm just like, I'm not going to look at it because I just don't have time to do it. Finally, we discovered Terry had to have surgery for her back. We had to go down to Charleston to have it. She had the surgery. Relief was immediate. Thank you, Jesus. Spent a couple days down there. And then we began to head back home from Charleston. The whole way, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to cut that yard. Man, I'm going to I'm gonna take time off of work. I'm going to have to rent a bush hog. It's up, you know, it's this high. This is horrible. And then we turned into our neighborhood. And we turned onto our street. And as we turned into the driveway, somebody, I still to this day don't know who, some group of men had come while we were gone. And they had cut our grass. They had raked those leaves. They had cleaned up our yard. And sitting in my driveway that day, with tears in my eyes, I knew what it meant to have your feet washed. So can I just ask you, whose feet need washing in your world? Wh whose feet need washing in your home, in your neighborhood, in your home group, in your office? If we want a deeper faith, we got to be willing to wash some feet. Because you are never more like Jesus than when you are willing to serve others. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this amazing practical picture. It's so powerful and yet it's so practical. And Father, I thank you that we don't have to pass a statue to understand that that we see that in the example of your life. So, Father, would you remind us of how to serve like you? Would you break down the pride? Would you break down the arrogance that is in all of us that thinks we are here to be served? And would you, to move, would you move us to be motivated by love, not by a desire to be recognized, or to be affirmed, or to get some need met in us, but just a desire to love the people around us because you have loved us so incredibly well. Father, give us the strength to dig to a deeper foundation that will not only survive the storm, but will help us be a light in the darkness around us. In Jesus' name, amen.